All right, so we are, as you can see, in a series on rest, but this series is happening during the church calendar um, time of Lent. Now, Lent, the word simply means springtime, but it's come to mean uh, 40 days of fasting and six days of celebrating before Easter. And the Lenten period is simply a time when you are kind of agreeing with your community to focus in on your own sin and your own brokenness. And you're kind of really trying to get in touch with your need for Jesus and for his death on the cross. But as you're in that process of kind of getting in touch with that, you're also preparing yourself to celebrate Easter. So even though every Sunday is Easter, once a year we celebrate as an entire church the resurrection of Jesus. And so we're getting prepared for that and, and so that it's something that we, we're really in touch with and we're excited about. So in the church calendar, it allows us kind of an opportunity to do that every year. Now, we're on this in this series on rest because all of you are tired, is what I told you last week. We're all tired. And I told you there was a couple reasons why you're all tired. One of them is that you don't get enough sleep. Let's just be honest about that. You watch too much Netflix, or you have little babies, or your brain is just one of those brains that runs and runs and runs, and it's very hard for you to fall asleep. But part of your reason is just physical. You're tired because you don't get enough sleep. Some of it's your fault, some of it's not. But even more than that, one of the reasons that a lot of us are tired is because we don't have any purpose. We're constantly in a place where we're like, why am I in this marriage? Why do I have these kids? Why am I doing this job? Why am I going to this school? Like, there isn't a driving purpose a lot of times to what we do. We just feel like we're a machine, putting one foot in front of the other, moving forward. And so part of the tiredness is because we have no purpose to what we do. And when that happens, the third reason that we're tired is that everything becomes emotionally draining right? And, and I see this in myself sometimes, and I see this in, in us as, as a whole, and I see this in our society, which is you end up having a lot of fun with your friends or doing something that's really relaxing, and as that's starting to end, you begin to get tireder and tireder because you're dreading the next thing you have to do, right? And that thing that you're dreading is making you tired, right? And you haven't even gotten there yet. I'm not talking to you. Don't, oh, I could be talking to you, but hey, um, though that was not my intention, just to single only you out. But, um, yeah, so all of us are in that place a lot of times. And so what happens is, is that there's a tiredness that doesn't seem to end up being quenched in a lot of ways. Um, and there, it doesn't seem like it goes away. Now, in the Old Testament... I'm just going to kind of review last week a little bit, but in the Old Testament, the Ten Commandments, God through Moses gives a command, and that command is that we're to keep the Sabbath, and we're to keep it holy. Now, this word Sabbath means rest. It literally means to be still or to cease from activity. Okay? And the reason that we're supposed to do this in this commandment, it goes back to creation. It says, you see, God created the earth in six days, and then he rested on the seventh day, and he calls, it's the first thing that God calls holy, is this seventh day. And so the idea in this commandment is that it is essential for you and I to rest, to be still, to cease from activity. It's good for our bodies. 
right? Paul in Romans 14 begins to talk about Sabbath and the holy day and how we keep it. And what he says is that the importance of Sabbath is not necessarily the particular day that you have, but what's important about it is that it's about the Lord. It's about Jesus. The whole point of Sabbath is to point you to Jesus. Jesus even says himself that the Sabbath isn't there for God, it's there for man. It's something given to us to reconnect us to God. Because when you and I put our hands to labor and to relationship and to reflecting the image of God into the world, when we do the things we're created to do, actually our brain gets dulled. We kind of get into the rhythm, right? And then our senses and our awareness of what's going on around us and what God's even doing a lot of times gets dulled. And so Sabbathing, being still, brings a heightened awareness, not less of an awareness. In fact, the psalmist in Psalm 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God. That there's a way, part of knowing who God is, is being still. The way you connect to God is being still. So resting is definitely important. It's important for you and I if we're going to kind of move forward in life. Now, as I've been thinking about this and kind of wrestling with things, I was thinking back to our previous sermon series, right? And it was on simple things, and it was us just taking one or two verses and saying, okay, this is essential to who we are as people, as followers of Jesus, as villagers. And so the first one was 1 John 5, 11, and 12. This is a testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in the Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. The thing that's given to us is life. Or Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, was, I think the next one is, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. You focus on God, he'll make your paths straight. The last sermon in that series, Rod preached and then fainted. And the whole theme of that sermon, which I'll never forget, because he preached on Philippians 4.13, right? That I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He preached and fell on his face. Right? So I remember this now. But it was about Christ giving us strength. Almost every single one of the passages that we looked on that sermon series it was connecting to God and God giving us something, giving us a fullness of life, right? Giving us strength, giving us eternal life, straightening our paths. You know, First John, you know, I think it's one nine or not. Yeah, uh, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Like our sins are forgiven. Okay. So the reason that we're tired, right, is we don't get enough sleep. We don't have direction. We're kind of drained emotionally by everything. But if we tap into God in Sabbath, what happens is we become alive. Our sins are forgiven. We're given eternal life. We're given strength. Our path is made straight. So the whole point of resting is a reviving of you, of making you alive, of giving you a purpose, of giving you a direction. Okay? So with that, what we've said is that in Mark chapter 6, verse 31, is kind of going to be our overarching thing that we're going to hold on to for this series as a way of looking at rest. And what we said was that this verse, this little engagement that Jesus has in the Gospel of Mark, has three principles. Last week I said four, but I shortened it to three this week. Um, but there are three principles in this little interaction that Jesus has with his disciples 
that I would say are the principles of rest. They're the things that you and I are going to have to hang on to as we enter in as a community to learning how to rest, to be still, to cease activity. Mark chapter 6, verse 31. So what's happened so far here in this passage is that Jesus, well, John the Baptist has been beheaded, and that's pretty serious. And then Jesus is super busy, and he hasn't eaten, and his disciples haven't eaten, which I said last week, remember, Jesus was busy. It's okay for you to be busy. It's okay for you to even forget to eat. Right? That's part of it. If you're, you're going, that's good. Jesus was that way. I love that Mark says, hey, here's where Jesus was. But this is what Jesus says to his disciples when he comes to the realization that, oh, I'm hungry, and so are my disciples. He says, come with me by yourselves, to a quiet place and get some rest. Okay? Come with me to a quiet place and get some rest. So I argue to you, and this is what we're going to hold on to, that there are three principles of rest. Number one, you have to unplug. The invitation, and you'll see this with Jesus, is constantly come with me, follow me. There is this unplugging from whatever you're doing, a moving away, a separating. Okay? The second principle of rest is that it's important to understand that even though a lot of times resting means that you're away from people, that rest is not absent of people. You are not running away from people when you're resting. What happens when you think you're resting and you're running away from people is you just get crazy things in your head and you think crazy things. To rest in a way that you're going to reconnect with God, you need community to be part of that, right? says, come away together. They go away as, as a group of people. And the last principle is that you got to rest in a quiet place. Part of resting is having a quiet place. So tonight, what we're going to talk about is how to just apply the unplugging part. Okay? So for this week and next week, we're going to look at this principle of unplugging in the context of rest and we're going to look this week at what it means to disengage, and next week what it looks to evaluate. Okay? So we're going to look at what it means to disengage in the context of resting, like how to practice disengagement, and then next week how to practice evaluating those things. And we're going to do that all with the metaphor of a boat. Okay? So Jesus calls his disciples to come with him. And in verse 32, it says, so they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. Now, as I was thinking about this, I realized, and maybe for some reason I just don't make this connection, but most of Jesus' ministries happens in a boat. Like, there is a lot, a lot of boat scenes, right? Well, that may be because he called fishermen, and they were most of the time working um, when he was doing stuff. But a boat is a good picture of resting. And here's what I mean by that. Or not of resting, but of disengaging. Um, almost like 16 years ago, I went to um, Canyon Lake on a houseboat. How many people know where Canyon Lake even is? Okay, a few of you know where Canyon Lake is. It's a lake out you know, near here somewhere. Um, I don't even remember really where it was um, because I was too young and I was just a college student. I don't remember what I was. Anyway, it doesn't matter. I was on Canyon Lake, in a houseboat with four other guys. And the houseboat was maybe four of those purple couches. Now, the thing that's unique about Canyon Lake is that at night they let the dam out, and there are no beaches. So it's just water on walls, 
and it's five guys on purple couches, right? We have no place to go. You're stuck on the boat. And unless everybody agrees to go way back to the dock, we're on the boat. And part of disengaging is actually making choices for you to put yourself on the boat. Okay, so let me give you a couple of practical examples, and then we're going to look at how this kind of works out in some stories with Jesus. Here are some ways that you can arrange for yourself to disengage. Number one, we'll just start easy. You can go to a restaurant by yourself and leave your cell phone at home. Okay, but that's an easy one, right? There's a good way to disengage because most of us are connected to that phone, right? You live with it. You can't imagine it not being there, right? So that's a good one. Another one that you could do is you could decide for a month that you are going to not eat the food that you really like. Just going to disrupt your cycle. So whatever it is, like maybe some of you love to eat cereal every morning. So you're not going to have cereal. You're going to have toast. And you're going to disrupt yourself a little bit. Right? Because part of disengaging is simply entering a disruption into your life. Maybe it means you're going to fast something. Maybe it's you usually like to watch Netflix. And so you're just going to shut down the Netflix account. Right? You're going to have someone else have the, put a new password in so you can't get in there. So every time you hit that, I want to go watch Netflix, there's a disruption. Right? Now, last week when I was kind of talking about all this, one of the things I put forward was this idea of super sleep. Because you remember, like I said, most of you were tired, like physically. Now, here's what super sleep is, and this is why it's a disengagement. It's when your kids go to bed or when it gets dark or if you can make your room dark as soon as you get home from work, you crawl into bed. So maybe it's 6 o'clock. And you sleep from 6 o'clock until you wake up and then you stay in bed until you fall asleep again until you have to go to work in the morning. Okay? You can't look at your phone. You can't read anything. You just have to lay there in the dark. Right? Because you're disrupting things, right? You're creating a disruption. Guess what? Your brain's going to get begin to think about things. You're going to have to be still. It's disruptive. I suggest you try it at least once in your lifetime where you're just stuck in bed with some super sleep. Some of you will just fall asleep. Like my wife, she would be rejoicing. She thinks super sleep should be every night. Um, and she would sleep for 12 hours and be very happy, right? But Part of that is just a disruption. So here's some ideas. Those are some ideas. I'm sure you can come up with tons of ideas yourself. But here's the thing that you want to do. You're creating space for three kinds of disengaging practices. Okay? So this is what they are. You're creating space for you to be able to do these three things. Okay? Number one thing that you're going to be trying to create is space for you to question the answer okay space for you to question the answer now let me read to you we're gonna read our first story our first boat story it takes place in the gospel of mark chapter four so it's a little earlier than where we were starting in verse 35 that day when evening came he said to his disciples let us go over to the other side, leaving the crowd behind 
they took him along. Just as he was in the boat, there were also other boats with them. With him, a furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat, so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drowned? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the winds died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? So, so here's the thing. They're, they're out on the boat. There are waves everywhere, and Jesus is sleeping. And guess what they do? They question Jesus. They question his intelligence. They question why he's doing this thing. Why are you sleeping while the rest of us are in trouble? Let me give you some examples of how this would work for you. You need to create space so that you can question the answer. Here's the answer for me. The answer for me is that God is a loving God. God loves me. He's involved in my life. He cares deeply about me and thinks that I'm a son. And and he's called me and he died for my sins. And and I feel very loved by God. But maybe, I think most of you, but not all of you know, that last year my middle brother lost his little son. A year and a half earlier, my little brother, littlest brother lost his little daughter. And I just got a phone call or an email yesterday, and I've been in conversation with my little brother, and his youngest son, who they just had, who's 10 months old, is in the hospital with bacterial spinal meningitis, right? And his brain was all swollen, and he had a fever. Now, things have stabilized. But if I don't create space for the question of that answer, it's the same thing for me. Jesus is in the boat. At the end of the boat, everything's kind of crazy in my life for my brothers and, this, you know, and the, their little kids are dying and are sick. And I, I need to go and say, what the heck are you doing? I have to create space to question the answer or I can't disengage. Because see, here's what happens. You and I accept the answer. We kind of either are like, eh, whatever, or we, 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 get, we, we don't actually question God. We don't enter into relationship. Now, last week, a bunch of eight guys from the village went up on a retreat. Here's a way to disengage. In that retreat, they had to spend nine hours by themselves over three days. And in those nine hours, they questioned God by writing out their story and saying, God, where were you when this happened to me? Why were you doing this? What's going on? They created space to question God. They disengaged. It is the first step to resting. It's the first step to being able to say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, is to question the answer, right? To begin to wake up Jesus at the back of the boat where you think he's asleep, okay? The second part of disengaging that you need to create space for, is for your boundaries to be transformed. Okay? You need space to have your boundaries transformed. There's another story, um, boat story, and it happens in Matthew 14, starting in, in verse 22. They all sound very similar. Um, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while his dis- he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. 
but the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus, Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus reached out to his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said, why do you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. The second thing that you and I have to create space for by disengaging, by making choices that will provide space for us to have our boundaries and our paradigms transformed. Right? So here you have the disciples floating out on the boat. There they are, you know going. I mean, I know that if I were in Canyon Lake on that houseboat and somebody came walking by, that would be a little disturbing, right? But for you and I, if we do not create space for God to to begin to transform things in our mind, then we just keep going on and on. Now, here's the thing. When you and I don't take time to rest and our senses are dull, what we become is animals, right? We operate as animals. We're impulsive, we act out of our own fear, right? And we get more and more in touch with our fear. And fear is the thing that drives us. It drives us in all these different areas. And if we do not take time to rest, we can't have our fear paradigms transformed. And we don't see where Jesus is. Because, you see, the invitation that Jesus gives to the disciples, and in particular to Peter, is for us to trust. The key to being in relationship with God is trust. It's very hard to be in relationship with God when you're fearful. So if you're willing to create space for that, and, and here's what I mean by that. When you're, when you're disengaging, so when you get rid of your phone, you know what that creates, what psychologists call that? They call it cognitive dissonance because you want your phone in here, you're like, I want my phone, I want my phone. I have no phone, I have no phone. I want my phone, I want my phone. I have no phone, I have no phone. What will I do? What will I do? What will I do? Watch Netflix. That sounds like a good idea. Oh, I need to eat something. Right? You begin to have this dissonance because there's no peace in your life. Right? And, there, and then this is how our addictions begin to work. Right? Because we're just like those little squirrels in my backyard. Just hyper, going up, down, up, down, squawking, making noise. Part of resting is sitting in that cognitive dissonance, having the waves pour over us, having the water, and waiting for Jesus to walk by. Waiting for the ghost to, to show up. Right? What you're doing is you're providing space for the Holy Spirit to enter in, to begin to change you, to begin to help you see what God is actually doing. And to hear him say, it's me, take courage. See, when we rest and we begin the process of disengaging, the words that you're going to hear to most of your questions is, it's me, have courage. Right? It's me, have courage. Now, when we disengage, when we choose to do some things that are going to cause some dissonance, 
we end up with the, and create some space, we end up with the opportunity to do the third thing, and that is try, try again, fail, fail better. It's not my line, but I love it. Try, try again, fail, fail better. That's the way walking with Jesus is, okay? Try, try again, fail, fail better. When you look at what happens with Peter, he created space, there's God, and he's like, I want to come out here with you, right? So what does he do? He steps off the boat and starts walking. And then he looks sideways, and he falls in the water, and he calls out for Jesus to save him. That's what walking with Jesus is about. That's what rest is about. It's, it's reconnecting you to Jesus and to what Jesus has to offer you. It's an invitation to step out of the boat and walk. It's an invitation to actually fail. It's an invitation to ask questions. It's an opportunity for you to have the way you think about things changed. Okay? Now, I want you... There's one little passage in Mark, um, I think it's Mark chapter 6, I think verse 45. Paul, or not Paul, Mark, lets us in on what's happening in that whole Peter experience. Because, you know, Peter probably, it's probably Peter's sermons that the Gospel of Mark is. And so Peter conveniently leaves out him sinking or even getting out of the boat. I don't know why. That, that's why they think maybe he wrote it um, or had some impact on that. But this is what Mark says about what happened. So immediately, this is Jesus. Immediately he spoke to them and said, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down. They were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. So in the middle of the story, Mark makes this point that there was an event earlier where Jesus fed the 5,000 out of very little bread. And the reason that they are afraid and didn't believe it was Jesus is because their hearts were hardened and they hadn't figured out that he was actually God. Rest, the thing that rest does is brings us to, to terms with the fact that you and I have a hard time believing Jesus is God. That he's worth trusting. And that's part of the reason we're tired. Is that we're in this wrestling with God. So, I on purpose made this short because I want your interaction because the process of resting is beginning this idea of disengaging, like creating space for you to question, for your paradigms to be shifted, for you to actually practice some things, trusting God. So what I'd like to ask is two questions for you to kind of just discuss with me. Number one is what do you need to do to disengage? Like what is an activity, a practical thing that you can do that's going to create space for you to question, for your paradigms to be changed, and for you to try, try again, and fail, and fail better. What do you need to do? And number two, um, what I want you to do is just kind of, as I was talking, I just want you to respond. What were you thinking about? What kind of hit you as I talked about those three different ways of disengaging, or ways to engage God in disengagement?
Um, so, let's shoot. Let's start with the first one. What, what are some practical ways for you as an individual to disengage? What will be disruptive for you? Anybody? Yes, sir. Oh, yeah, we need the mic. One of the things that, it, uh, one of the things I actually thought about giving up for Lent was just having the radio on in the car when I go to school in the morning. But I found that it's like it was jarring for like a few days, and then I got used to it. So now I'm not sure where to go from there because I don't. Maybe I should turn the radio back on, and it'll be jarring again. But <laughs> I think you should always have the radio on, nine to ten a.m. Um, a.m. ten. <laughs> All right, so the radio host just made a pitch for his show from 9 to 10. Okay. Especially on Tuesdays when I'm on. Okay. So, so what you're saying is you, so you felt that disruption, but maybe you didn't take advantage of it? Yeah, I just waited until it wasn't uncomfortable anymore. Yeah. Um, but, but you started with something that kind yes. of is disruptive. What did you experience in that? Uh, it was very uncomfortable. Like I just, I, it it did feel jarring because I'm, I'm like my drive to school is very short, but it was like, I, I'm my, I'm out of my routine and I, I don't know where to go from there. Right. I should have preached the sermon earlier so you could. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) But anyway, so, so one place to go is to begin to ask those harder questions while you're driving from work our school to work or vice versa but anybody anybody else yes david can you be the the runner thanks um just this morning i like i have my laptop on top of my desk um in my living room and um i this morning i wanted to read the paper so i shut it and put it out of the way and just for a second before I like started reading the paper, I was like, wow, this is like really freeing <laughs> not having my laptop here in front of me because I don't feel like I need to, you know, go to it. It isn't as available to me. Um, so I don't know if that's like, I mean, I think, yeah, that probably is part of um fasting and making space for God is making some of those things less available yeah. to us. Yeah. And, and you experience some freedom, which is a paradigm shift of sorts. Right. 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 So. Cool. And anybody else have some ways that would disrupt them? So it's funny that you're talking about this because this is something that I was sort of encountering in my life already. So the other day I was doing math homework and it was really easy. And uh, there's a point to this, don't worry. And uh, <clears throat> and uh, it was so easy that I was like listening to a documentary on Vladimir Putin in the background. And I was uh, I was like, wow, this is really interesting. Uh, next thing, and uh, I, I don't know, and I, I like kept switching switching through a couple of uh, documentaries um, that were just on YouTube, and um, like I, I wasn't finishing any of them, and I clicked on this um, one YouTuber that I sub- subscribed to that said, "This is how we've messed up all of our attention spans," and I was like, "Oh, this is relevant." <laughs> 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 and uh, and today um, I didn't have internet 
all day, and there were a couple of times um, that I was just like, I was just there alone with my own thoughts, and I was just very, very bored, and I really enjoyed that. <laughs> it was excruciatingly amazing. Cool. That's good. Anybody else have any comments or anything they want to add to questions? Um, yes, sorry, we got two here. So Meg and then Mike. So I was trying to give up, I guess, email or, which is hard because so many of these things I really do need for my business, but I don't need to check maybe every five minutes. <laughs> and so I've been trying to just pare it down to what would be necessary. And I've absolutely totally failed in it. But the cool part about that is getting in touch with how much it runs my life and getting mm -hmm. in touch with my need and my anxiety when it's gone. And um, as far as space, though, when I really try to sit in the emptiness of it's like, okay, I have four hours that I, where I can't be checking this stuff because I really don't need to, I just thought of all the amazing things I could be thinking about or could be hearing from God. So, um, but yeah, it's that space in between when you're walking on the water and just, yeah, it's, it's, it's really hard, but it's really amazing to me what could be just beyond that if I can break through. That's really cool. Thank you, Meg. So I'm in a, in a process of, of just being off of social media for about, you know, the minimum was six months, but. Like, as I've been doing this for a few weeks, like, p people keep asking me, like, well, what's it like? Um, you know, how, how are you doing with being off of social media, being off Facebook? And I'm like, you know, I don't really think much about it until someone asks me, like, well, what's it like? I'm like, <laughs> you know, because, I mean, because I have, like, I mean, I'm listening to audiobooks. I'm having terrifying experiences that God has allowed me to have, and... And and going to school and going to work and being with Corey and and it's interesting because like it's I don't I don't like you realize like all this extra stuff that you do on on your phone on social media you really don't have time for it but you make time for it because you think that it's important you think it's important to be engaged uh, but when you when you disengage you have all this space and you know I've had like I said some God has allowed some really intense things to come about uh, with with me being off of it. And he's really shown me some really interesting things that I probably would have missed had I not given mm -hmm. up the Facebook. So that's pretty cool. That's cool. Cool. All right, we got it right behind Gil. How would you respond, Eric, if you, the whole first point you made about questioning uh, things you're, st let's just say, for example, you question you're saying it's a good thing to question whether God's in control, for example. Yes. We all say, oh, God's in control. You question that God is in control. Or your brother with his, with his issues. If he would come to the conclusion, God isn't a loving God. Look what right. happened. How do you go from, from that thin ice, so to speak? Would you, is there such a danger as falling through? Uh, so that I guess a lot of people I, I've met in my life questions God and they settled in that yes. there is no God. Yes. Well, and I guess my, my answer to that would be, I, I would never suggest that someone not, or someone question God if they're not in the context of saying, I am creating space to step into relationship with God. 
Like, because with my son and my daughter, when they interact with me um, in the context of me being their father and they're asking, why are we doing this? And why is this happening? And it's in the bounds of relationship. And so we can wrestle it out. Um, but if, I'm, if it's an adversarial thing, then I don't think that's what rest is. Like, I think it's still a posture of, you know, you can still be like, do you not care about us? Like, you, that's still a valid question. But where is it coming from? I think you have to be careful. And I mean, if you're trying, if you're, if, I don't think the disciples were motivated to prove that he didn't care about them. It was more they were in a place of, we're in trouble, do you care about us? Like, we're feeling desperate. So I think it's getting in touch with the d- desperateness of things. And so, yeah, um, back there. And then right here, and then we... I, we I think to me the big difference is whether you're questioning to hear God's answer or whether you're questioning to judge God. Yes, that's, thank you. That's, and of course, Emily McConnell pow, answers the question like that. Right here, and then we're going we're gonna to end. Yeah, right, right, sorry, Christina. No, never mind, you sure? You're all good? All right, let's pray. Father, thank you so much um, for calling us into rest and for helping us do that. And I just ask that you would bless our community in that, and I thank you again for them and their wisdom um, and their willingness to wrestle with you and to figure out how to engage um, I ask all uh, in your name. Amen, Jesus.